All right. So, uh, we're going to go to Daniel chapter 12, getting close to the end of our study here. Uh, this, of course, is not the end one because uh, there's one more lesson I need to do after this one. But today we're going to cover a very a couple of very important topics that I think are important. I'm going to branch off a little bit into uh, some doctrines that are being alluded to here in uh, Daniel chapter 12. But now we're moving over into the end time uh, stuff, and that's why I call it the time of the end. Uh, we know it's, there's no end as such. There's no such thing as it's all over, the end of the world, it's finished. Uh, we know, but there are ends of uh, different dispensations, and uh, this is going to deal with that end of the dispensation there with the church age, of course, with uh, the tribulation, uh, Daniel's 70th week. All that is going to end with Daniel chapter 12. And then, of course, we know there's much more to follow, uh, including an eternity with the Lord. And that's good. Amen. So it never just ends, but uh, there are things that have to end. Uh, the Bible talks about the ends of the world. It doesn't say the end of the world. It has plural. There are several ends that we have to look at. And these are just some of those ends that we have to uh, consider here. So Daniel chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 to 3. It says, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And that, at that time, uh, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they, be, uh, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you that you just help me during this uh, lesson, Lord, to bring forth the truth with clarity. And I pray, Lord, it would speak to our hearts, give strength in our bodies and minds tonight. And I pray, Lord, uh, you'd help us as uh, many have worked all day. And Lord, they need a little refreshing from you, Lord, to be able to understand the truth of the word of God tonight. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, this, what we're looking at in Daniel chapter 12 is just simply a continuation. Remember going back to Daniel chapter 10 and how that uh, Daniel fasted and prayed for 21 days and then an angel came and uh, shared some things with him. So we're still dealing with that same vision. And so that's important to understand because when he's talking here, he's still referring back uh, to the things that have taken place two chapters ago. And so it says in Daniel 10, verse 21, it says, But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. And so um, in the Daniel chapter 11, we saw uh, some examples of what was going to happen future to Daniel. It's already passed for us, but we've seen wars and leaders that would come during the intertestamental period. Um, We've considered the Antichrist again last time, uh, which is uh, one of the major themes of Daniel. So the Antichrist is not just a small part of the book of Daniel. Actually, it's a major theme of the book of Daniel. And, and when you look at even the stories we looked at, Nebuchadnezzar uh, building the image, worshiping the image, it's all referring back or referring to the Antichrist and how he's going to operate. And so it is a major, major thing. And that's important when you're when you're trying to discern some of these visions that are, that are taking place. Um, 
We've touched on the wars of the tribulation last week. Um, we looked at the Battle of Gog and Magog and also the Battle of Armageddon, uh, Psalm 83. <clears throat> They're going to take place while the Antichrist is rising in power and during the first half and the final end of the Great Tribulation. Uh, that one's called the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, this will be the, this war, the Armageddon, will be the end of the Antichrist and bring in the perpetual rule of Christ in his earthly kingdom. And so this next chapter, we look back again into Daniel's 70th week. And so that's where we're focusing our attention uh, tonight. So number one, we're going to look at the war in heaven. The war in heaven. Letter A, Michael, an archangel, is the great prince of Israel. And so he's called a prince. It says, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And so this prince is for Israel. And so what we're dealing with in Daniel chapter 12 is Israel. We're not dealing with church doctrine. There's some things here you can apply to the church, but it's talking specifically about Israel and Michael is the prince of Israel. He was the angel given that responsibility to protect the nation of Israel. Uh, number one, Michael means who is like God. Uh, that, I like that because it's got a question mark to it. He's not saying I'm like God, but it's almost like he's got this loyalty to him where who is like him? The same way some of those uh, you know, people that take the number of the beast, who's like the Antichrist? Who can make war with him? Well, Michael the Archangel saying who is like our God? <laughs> you know, like, I'm sorry, you've lost, you know? And it just gives off this attitude that, you know, Jehovah, he's completely loyal and following Jehovah, his God. And so uh, Michael is a committed, mighty angel that lives to fulfill his duty to Jehovah by, by protecting Israel. Number two, Michael fought against the principality of Persia. Now, Persia that had everything to do with Israel because they were given this proclamation of, of this being underneath Gentile dominion. They've had Babylon and then Persia, then Grecia. And so Michael is fighting on their behalf when, it's, when it has to do with Persia. And we saw then Daniel 10, 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me and I remained there with the kings of Persia. In verse 20 of chapter 10, then said he knoweth, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee, and now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia? And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. And I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael your prince. And so he is directly involved in the things that are going on here with Israel. Letter B, Michael has a responsibility to protect Israel. In this uh, passage it says, At that time shall Michael stand up. And to stand means to rise up or take a stand, to exercise authority over. So that's what principality is talking about. It's talking about you, you have this responsibility, this power to, to uh, dominate in this particular area. And he took that seriously and he stood up when he needed to stand up. And he stood up for Israel. And uh, let's see, and, and number one, the children of thy people are referring to the children of Israel. The children of Israel are, where did, where did Israel come from? Who is Israel? Jacob, right? Jacob. There's an interesting thing. There's a reason why the Lord separated Abraham from Jacob by two generations. He didn't want us referring to Jacob to the church. 
we have nothing really to do with Jacob as far as the church is concerned. But our faith is connected to Abraham two generations before, you see. And so when, when he's talking about Israel, he's always referring to Jacob. So you could almost just interchange the word Israel with Jacob every time it's used in the Bible. The children of Israel. What does that mean? The children of Jacob. You see, that helps you, you know, figure out what it's talking about because people today, they look, oh yeah, the church is the children of Israel. <laughs> well, no, we're not. The children of Israel have to be of the physical line of Jacob, amen, and the 12 sons. And we are not that. We never will be that, amen. We are not Jews. We are not Israelites. We will never be such, uh, though we do share in a common covenant uh, but that covenant doesn't make us Israel, amen? It just makes us a part of God's economy and plan. That's where the connection is. And so the church is not in view here. The whole ministry of Michael has been the preservation of God's people, Israel. Whenever Michael is seen, that's when Israel is in focus in the scripture. And so um, number three, Michael is mentioned in Jude, used as an example of standing in the Lord's authority against Satan. And that's where you see in Jude 8, it says, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. And so there you have um, that, that fierce loyalty that Michael has towards Jehovah God. Uh, he doesn't fight his own battle. He uses the authority of his God to rebuke Satan. He doesn't rebuke him in an argument. He doesn't try to, you know, put him in his place and give him a piece of his mind. He just simply grabs onto the authority of Jehovah. The Lord rebuke you. That's it. And that, we could learn a lot from that, you know, uh, especially when you look at the, the, the context of this. It says, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. So people that are of this caliber under Satan's control are usually people that despise the dominion or the place of authority. Uh, they speak evil of those that are dignities, those that are in power, those that are leaders. And people like that, they are the same attitude as Satan himself. Amen. And, and Michael is giving us that, that opposite contrast to that. He's saying that's not Michael at all. He doesn't despise dominion or speak evil of dignities. He just simply stands in the authority of the Lord. Amen. And that's all you can do as well. And so we must be careful when dealing with principalities that are under satanic control that we stand in the authority of the Lord, obeying scripture, trusting God's deliverance. Even in the New Testament where those people, they tried to cast out that demon and the demon said, you know, Paul I know and Christ I know, but who are you? Because they never submitted themselves underneath the authority of the Lord and therefore the demon had, no, had complete domination over these people. It's only those that submit themselves underneath the leadership of the Lord that actually have authority over the principalities. Amen? And so if we're not submitted... It's not you. You can't give the devil a black eye. <laughs> you know, that's one of the big, one of the, uh, uh, the sayings of the Pentecostal. Give that devil a black eye today. Well, I'm sorry, you can't. You don't have that ability. Amen? You, the only way you can fight him is through submission to the truth of the word of God. Amen? Letter C, 
Michael will lead the armies of heaven against Satan during the great tribulation. And so Daniel 12, it says this, And at that time shall Michael stand up, and the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time, and at that time thy people shall be delivered. So here we're talking about a period of time within the great tribulation. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 gives gives us uh, the insight into this battle. That's what it says in verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, and it's giving us a parenthesis of time here. It's not just giving us one little sliver of time. It's giving us a wide swath of history in this one chapter here. And it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now this is talking about Israel. Israel is the woman. Uh, The twelve stars of the tribes. The, the, the baby is the Messiah. And that's why immediately when the Messiah is being born, there was immediately an attack made upon the Messiah even before he was born. It was already being put into play. And that's why all of Rachel's children, the Bible, Bible says, they lamented, amen. Rachel lamented over her children. And that means that, the, that Herod killed all the children two years old and younger because the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. And that's what it's referring to there. So it goes on to say, um, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, Jesus Christ. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. That's three and a half years. So now we're talking the Great Tribulation. We're talking about how the Lord is going to protect Israel for three and a half years from the time the Antichrist takes power in the mid-trib when he sets up the abomination of desolation and how that he's going to chase after the woman, but he won't be able to catch her and the Lord will protect her for three and a half years uh, during the Great Tribulation. And it says, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So he had this place in heaven, being the prince of the power of the air, where he constantly, daily, is accusing God's people before God. That's what he's doing right now. He's an accuser of the brethren. He's throwing out insults and accusations, and that's what he's doing today. So can you imagine, after this battle takes place and the devil gets exiled to the earth, there's no more accusing going on in heaven. They're saying, praise God. (laughs) You know, the accuser is now cast down. He no longer has access to the throne of God 
and into the heavenlies to throw his garbage around. Amen. So ultimately, they dealt with him, and they are dealing with him. So it goes on to say here, um, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They loved not their lives unto death. Talking about the people. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath. Because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So the world at this point. We're not dealing with the church. The church is gone. The church has been raptured. Now what the Lord is doing. He's, he's bringing a wrath upon the world. And so that's why the woe is to the inhabitants of the earth. Now, if we would be on the earth as a church, then he'd say, woe to you, church. But that's not what it is. In fact, there is no mention of the church after Revelation chapter 4 and the rapture that's pictured there in Revelation 4. After that, we're dealing with Israel. Amen. And we're dealing with the world and the wicked of the world. So you can see it very clearly there that now he says, rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. But when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. So before, we were getting a wide swath of time, and now he's giving us a little more detail as to what takes place in this persecution. So it goes on to say, <coughs> And to the woman... We're given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and a times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. So that's three and a half years, all right? And it goes on to say, and the serpent cast out of his mouth water as flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And so I don't know exactly what this is referring to, but it could very well be a flood, you know. A lot of people think that perhaps Israel will actually be taken away to the place called Petra. And I don't know if you looked at that, but there's places on the entrance of Petra that you can touch one wall with one hand and one wall with the other hand, and you couldn't imagine an army trying to get through that. In fact, very few men could hold back a whole army because of the, the constriction of that entrance into that place, you know. But I don't know, whatever it is, uh, we know that they're not going to be able to touch Israel. And uh, the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, because he couldn't get to the main group of Israelites that were true Israel, that trusted what the Bible says and trusted the Messiah, that he turned his attention towards the remnant. Now, we know that during the last three and a half years, there's going to be a, a bunch of witnesses, 144,000 witnesses, that are going to go out through the whole earth and preach the gospel so that people will be saved. He's going to make it his goal to capture and kill every one of those witnesses. And that we see later on how they'll stand before Christ beheaded. And uh, they'll, be, they'll become Christ's uh, close entourage, these 144,000. Amen? Kind of like his, uh, his personal guards type of thing. And so number one, this heavenly battle occurs at the middle of the 70th week. Letter A, following Satan's exile to earth, the Jews that flee are kept safe from the dragon for three and a half years. 
since we already read that, we'll move on. Number two, the Great Tribulation is a time of trouble unequaled by any in earth's history. And that's why it says in Daniel 12, 1, it says that and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. Uh, Matthew 24 says the same thing in verse 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand. Let them that which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation. Talking about the mid-trib and on. Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time no, nor ever shall be. All right? So that's very clear there. The Daniel and Matthew tie pretty good there. Jeremiah chapter 30 says this. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. That, my friend, is a clear promise of the literal Israel and Judah returning to their land in the future. So all these, uh, (laughs) uh, what's the term? People that believe that uh, Israel's gone, the church has taken its place. I'm sorry, you would, God would have to be called a liar because it's very clear what he said. He even makes a point of saying, concerning Israel and concerning Judah. Amen. Then he goes on to say, For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore doth I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Jacob. Jacob is not the church. We associate with Abraham, not Jacob. Amen. It says, For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke, from off thy neck, and I will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear not, fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord. Neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, And none shall make him afraid. Yes, replacement theology. Thank you so much, Ferdinand, for that text. (laughs) I like that he's involved. (laughs) For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations which I have scattered thee. Yet will will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. So you see, that's God's whole plan for Israel right there in Jeremiah chapter 30. Number three, Satan's exile to earth occurs in the middle of the 70th week and empowers the Antichrist's rule on earth. So now he's going to turn up the the fire a little bit on earth because the dragon has come down. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, it says. 
And it says in Revelation 13, 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. See, all those are the same animals that were involved in the kingdoms, in the, in the empires. The lion, the leopard, the bear. Amen. So, and I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And so that's the length of the Antichrist rule on earth. And he opened up his, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. That means insulting to blaspheme his name, to insult his name, and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power is given him over all the kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. So that's the beast, the seven heads, the ten, ten horns, the ten crowns. So the beast has all the characteristics of the prior world empires at one time at the end. So that tells you that all these prior empires are still in some form existing during the time of the Great Tribulation. So they're existing even today. Except you don't see them very clearly because they're lost within this uh, time, this church age that we're in. And I really do think that the church age confused the devil's plan. And I don't think the devil could get a very big foothold in the political uh, arena here because of God's people and because of their prayers. And I think that's what kept him from establishing this one world government that he's been wanting. But we do see that on the horizon here. We see the globalists and people trying to push for that. And, and that is a pretty big problem right now. And so um, this final beast crawls out of the sea of the earth after Satan is cast down to the earth. And so that's what gives it its power is Satan himself in, in possesses the Antichrist and empowers this, this empire to go on for 40 and two months. Uh, Lettery, the heads are referring to the specific kings that have ruled, the Antichrist being the seventh. And it stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, you know, you say, well, I know who they are. Well, you probably don't. <laughs> you know, it could be the emperors of Rome. It could be, I mean, I've seen it laid out so clearly that there's exactly seven of them that were wicked like that. And, and, uh, and they all have the same characteristics, whatever it could be. You know, there's a lot of things I've learned as a preacher that if I'm still after 20 years reading after guys that can't agree and uh, they don't know, chances are it's not going to become much clearer in the next 20 years, amen? So some of these young bucks, well, I know. Well, yeah, you just keep on talking. Uh, 20 years, you're going to come to, you know, I really don't know. You don't, because some things are just kind of left as a mystery, amen? But we do know that, that the Antichrist is one of these heads, and one of these heads gets a wound to death and then gets revived or, res- or seemingly resurrected, Letter B, the seventh head was wounded and considered dead until the dragon seemingly brings him back to life. 
And we see that in Revelation 13, 3. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. You know, so this is how Satan gave it its, its object of worship, you know, just like you worship, we worship Christ because of the resurrection. That's why we worship on Sundays. That's why we make a big deal of the first day of the week and the first of our increase and in everything is because of that, you know. Letter C, this lying wonder causes the world to worship the dragon. And so it says in verse 4, and they worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who was like unto the beast who was able to make war with him. Verse number 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That means true Christians don't worship the beast. <laughs> Amen. True Christians do not worship the devil. All right. If you see someone, well, I used to be a Christian, but now I worship the devil. Well, you never were a Christian. Your name was never in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Uh, letter D, false prophet rises from the earth as a lamb. But speaking under Satan's power directs the world to worship the beast. So this is that false prophet. Notice it has the, in verse 11 it says, And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. So this is a counterfeit, counterfeit of, of Jesus Christ who is the lamb of God. And it's supposed to make him look all humble and submissive and so forth. But the Bible tells us it's a dragon that's giving him the power to speak. And spake as a dragon. It says, And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders so that he make fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And so now, well, look at this resurrected uh, Antichrist. Let's make an image to him and worship him. And so this false prophet is, is right part and parcel with Satan's plan here. Letter E, a system is put in place to mark the loyal followers of Satan with a number, 666, and stop all that do not have the number from buying and selling and punishing those that will not worship the beast with death. All right, so this is quite something. We've seen little, little bits of this in the last few years just coming up into our, our uh, horizon. They were seeing it, you know, and we're talking about the social credit system and so forth. And so, and it says, and he had the power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should speak and caused that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. So we have a global religious system. We have a system that implements economic control. We have a system that implements tracking of individuals through technology. We have a system that will begin as a social credit system that will let you buy or sell. And if you don't have this mark, then you can't buy or sell. If you're a good boy, you can buy. If you're a bad boy, you can't. And that's what, want, that's what they want to implement today. You know, And it's so close. It just seems like everything is right there on the horizon here with us. Letter D, there will be a great deliverance of God's people Israel. 
And at the end of Janet 12, verse 1, it says, And at that time thy people shall be delivered. So this is what takes in the last three and a half years. Of course, the judgment of God is going to fall during those last three and a half. But really, that's the, the whole plan. Worship the beast, implement the number, uh, destroy the people of God. That's basically the whole rule of the Antichrist. That's what he wants to accomplish. So number one, Israel will escape the Antichrist's pursuit. We read about that already. And number two, Israel will be eternally saved by Jesus Christ at the end of the Great Tribulation. But it says, it has a little caveat there, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Amen. So not just anybody that says I'm an Israelite, but these are Israelites that have been written in the book of life. All right, it says in Isaiah 4, verse 3, shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. Letter A says, a true Israelite is one that has been spiritually changed. Spiritually changed. In Romans 2, verse 28, it says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men, but of God. Now, I've heard people say, see, this means that we're all Jews. No, it's not what it's talking about. The context of Romans chapter 2 was talking about the Jewish people. And who are the Israelites? Who are these ones that are so important? Well, that's why he says, well, a Jew is not necessarily a true Jew unless they've actually been circumcised in their heart. Amen. They have to be written in the book, <laughs> you know. So not every person that is born after Jacob by the physical seed is going to be saved. There's many that will be in hell. And, uh, but there will be those that are saved at, or born after Jacob by the physical seed, but also they have taken on the spiritual seed of Christ, and those are the ones that are written in the book and that make up Israel during this time at the end. And so, letter B, all of true Israel will be saved. Every last one. Jeremiah 30, verse 7 says this, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, even in the time of Jacob's trouble, he shall be saved out of it. I already read that to you, didn't I? Um, I already did. Isaiah 45, 17. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. He shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. Uh, Romans 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should by, be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Sion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. Amen. So there's that promise to Israel that they will be saved, and it's talking about the great tribulation at the end there. All right, so moving on quickly, and I am going quickly. Number two, the resurrections at the end. The resurrections. That's verse number two. It says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Uh, John 5, verse 28, it says this, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And so what we're seeing here, there's two resurrections. Uh, 
and the Lord Jesus is calling both of them up, all right? The only thing is, these resurrections are not happening, happening at the same time. That's not what it's referring to there. Letter A, the word sleep. It says that they that sleep in the dust of the earth always is used in reference to the physical body, not to the soul, all right? So when it's talking about sleeping, it's not referring to a soul sleep. It's talking about a physical bodily sleep. So it's even talking to the believers, them that sleep in Christ or those that sleep. It's talking about how their body is laid to rest. Amen? It's not talking about the soul because the soul is always conscious and the soul is always thinking and the soul is with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen? And so there is no soul sleep. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that when you die, your soul goes to sleep until the end. That means your consciousness stops, you know, and that's how they refer to sleep, but that's not true at all. Sleep is always referring to the physical. Souls are not in graves or in the dust of the earth. (laughs) Only our bodies are, amen. In 2 Corinthians 5, 6, it says, therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Amen. So the moment you're absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. But your body's still in the grave. All right. But your soul, to those of us that are believers, your soul has never entered into the grave. That's what the Bible says. Uh, It says that death, there's no more hold on you. So even before how the Old Testament saints had to go to paradise, We don't have to go that direction at all. Our body goes into the ground, but our soul doesn't go anywhere near to the ground. We're with the Lord before the body hits the ground. Amen. And that's an interesting thing about what took place when Christ presented himself for us. All right. Number one, uh, some religious groups believe that soul, the soul will sleep into the time of the resurrection. Number two, the Sadducees did not believe in the physical resurrection at all. Uh, in Mark 12, verse 18, which say there is no resurrection. Number three, some false teachers taught the resurrection had already taken place. In 2 Timothy 2, 17, Paul was rebuking them, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. So it's important what we think about the resurrection. Amen. Letter B, there are two separate groups that will be physically resurrected. Notice in our passage, it talks about some to everlasting life and some unto shame and, uh, unto shame and everlasting contempt. And so these are opposite characteristics in these two resurrections. Life, everlasting contempt. Other passages, just the unjust. So there's two separate people. Um, number one, the resurrection of the just is the first resurrection. This is some to everlasting life. Luke 14, 14 says, And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So there's a recompensing taking place as well at the resurrection of the just. Letter A, these, these that have been justified by trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. Because John eleven twenty five 25 says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. So Christ is at the, at the base of this resurrection. He is the resurrection. If you don't believe on him, you cannot be resurrected. 
Uh, he is the reason why we have the resurrection. So you have to be justified by trusting Christ as Savior. That puts you in the resurrection of the just. Letter B, these are the blessed and holy. In Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. All right? So what a blessed thing to be a part of the first resurrection. Uh, Letter C, the first resurrection takes place before Christ's thousand-year reign. And that's what we see here in this passage. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the first resurrection has taken place and then the thousand-year reign comes. All right? So it's very simple. Uh, Do I have my... Why has that happened to me? Do you have my, my graphics at all there? My graphics are not just on the worksheets, right? For some reason, they just disappeared out of my notes. I had them all in here. That is not nice. Why it does that, I just do not know. Here, I'm going to try this. Oh, I bet you that's why. Let's see if that helps. Because I'd like for the folks on the stream to see it as well here. No, it's still not on here. Oh, well, if you do have the worksheet, that's where they're at. Um, You can see that sheet that talks about the two resurrections is the first resurrection that takes place. All those resurrection events take place before the thousand-year reign. And then there's one resurrection that takes place after the thousand-year reign, and that's called the second resurrection. And so... Uh, Number two, the resurrection of the unjust, the second resurrection, letter A, the second resurrection are those that are lost and will appear before the great white throne. So there's only one time that the lost are called up, and that's at the great white throne. That's where all sin will be dealt with after all the events of the world are done. After the thousand-year reign, after the final battle, after, after the devil's dealt with, after the demons are dealt with, then the Lord calls up everybody that has been in hell from the beginning of creation all the way to that day, and he calls them up before the great white throne. That's the resurrection of the unjust. And that's where it says in Revelation 20, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, and whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no found, found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, all the Titanic people, the people that died on the Titanic, all the ships that have sank since the beginning of time and and so forth. I'll tell you, there are millions of bodies in the sea, millions upon millions of bodies in the sea. Think of the flood, you know, Noah's flood, millions of bodies all over the place that you don't even see. They're still finding them, digging them up here and there, you know, and everywhere, you know. And so the Bible says that he will call up every one of those people. Every one of those bodies will be caught up, will be called up before this throne. And so it says that sea gave up the dead which were in it, death and hell, delivered up the dead which were in them. That means that, that place called Hades at the center of the earth where all the souls went to. All of those are going to be delivered up before the great white throne judgment. Um, 
then it says, and, and then it says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And notice how there are books in heaven. And they were judged according to those things, according to their works. And I do believe that even in hell, there will be degrees of judgment for people in the place called hell. There will be certain torment that people will have that have done very wickedly as perhaps those that didn't do as wickedly. They will be judged according to and measured to their works. Amen? To the degree. Same with us. When we are sa- we're saved, we're not going to be going to hell. But when we're judged at the judgment seat of Christ, we're judged according to our works. In the same degree of our works, that's the degree of rewards that you and I will receive. The Lord is very just. Amen? And so let it be, the resurrection of the unjust will occur after Christ's 1,000-year reign. And we already saw that. Um, Letter C, the first resurrection includes several resurrection events. I wanted to see, I wanted you to see these. <clears throat> I like Luke 20, verse 35. It says, But they which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. So there's a there's an, a worthiness that we have to be accounted for if we want to be a part of the first resurrection. There's a worthiness. Amen. Well, that's people who have trusted Christ. That's what makes you worthy. Number one, Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection. And you see that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. It says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. And so what we know is this, the first event of the resurrection is Christ's own resurrection. He's the first fruits. So they would have a, uh, the feast of the first fruits that took place after the Passover. And that was 50 days before the day of Pentecost. And they would take the first fruits of the harvest and they would wave it before the Lord. And the Lord would accept the harvest, the remainder of the harvest, based on the sacrifice of that first wave offering. Amen? So Christ being the first fruits, he was waved before the Father, and now the rest of the harvest has been accepted based upon the one sacrifice. Amen? That's why Christ is the first fruits. All right? I'm glad he's the one. I'm not the first fruits. <laughs> he is. Amen? And so... Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the harvest. Uh, this is the basis of the bodily resurrection. Without Christ's victory over death, the resurrection of, of the just just would not be possible. Uh, that's why in Proverbs 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thine increase. Uh, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. <clears throat> we were talking about that as men. We were saying, Well, when, where do you tithe from? You tithe from your net, your gross pay? What do you. Well, you, you tithe from the first fruits. Amen? See, it's a principle there. It's the first fruits of all thine increase. That's what you give to God. He would ask for the first fruits of the family, the firstborn child. He'd ask for the first fruit of the, of the cattle, the first one born. You know, he always wanted the first fruit. Amen? And that's, that would become their sacrifice or their offering unto the Lord. And so in Romans eight twenty three, and not... 
Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So the first fruits of the Spirit is the same thing. Because on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit came down, and what that did is made us all uh, qualified for that bodily resurrection because we're raised by the power of the Spirit. Amen? The first fruits of the Spirit. All right, number two. So that's the first event. Second event is the resurrected at Christ's coming. Now, what's, t- what's it talking about Christ's coming? Well, the Christ's coming isn't just one point in time. It's actually a segment of time. The Christ's coming begins with what's called the rapture, ends with what's called the revelation. The rapture and the revelation. Seven years between these two events, and I'll explain this to you. Afterward, they that are at Christ and his coming. So letter A, the rapture of the church. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. They're asleep, their body is in the grave. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So the rapture is different than the second coming, the revelation, for the fact that it is not a visible coming. But we can see in this passage, it says very clearly, um, where was it? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So the coming of the Lord includes the rapture. Amen? So afterward, they at his coming. So the first part of the coming is the rapture of the church. We can see that 1 Corinthians 15. We don't have time to go through all this. I got to move very quickly. Let it be. The two witnesses. The two witnesses. (coughs) Revelation (coughs) chapter 11, verse number 3. Of course, the church, what's our job down here? Our job is to preach the gospel to every creature. That is our primary purpose, is to get the gospel to the world. That is the whole purpose here. Anytime the Lord's dealing with people, he's dealing with getting his message to the lost. So the church had its time. And when that time was done, the rapture takes place and we're gone. But that doesn't mean that the world is without a witness. No, because when we're gone, that's when the 70th week begins, right after that. And then the Lord raises up two witnesses. See, he wouldn't need the two witnesses if, we, if the church would still be here. But because the church has been taken out and our purpose has been removed, now he's brought in two witnesses that will witness on behalf of him to the world. And these are very powerful witnesses. <clears throat> it says in verse 3 of chapter 11, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before God of the earth. So if the the church would still be here, why aren't we the candlestick? (laughs) It doesn't say we're the candlestick. We have nothing to do with it. We're the candlestick now. The Bible says that the church is the candlestick. We have the light upon the candlestick. But now these two witnesses, which take in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, 
They are the candlesticks. Amen. So the Lord changed the witness from us to these two witnesses. All right. So it says here, if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Now, we don't have that power in this dispensation. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. Why do they have this kind of power? Because we're no longer dealing with the church age. We're dealing now going back to the days of Israel and how the prophets used to function by doing miracles and being prophets and so forth. It's a completely different dispensation happening here. So they will have power that influences people and hinders the Antichrist from having complete control. He can't rule 100% because of these two guys, you know? They can, shut, they can shut down heaven so it doesn't rain. They can take fire out of their mouths. They, I mean, these guys got great power. What witnesses? The Antichrist hates their guts. He does. So these will be the witnesses of God after the church during the first half of the 70th week of Daniel. I wish I had my charts. I had them all. Oh, it's sad. Revelation 11, verse 7, it says, And when they had finished their testimony... The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. So you say, how did this happen? I thought these guys had all the power. Well, I think maybe the Lord's got a plan. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Unless a corn of wheat die and abide alone and die, it shall not bring forth fruit, the Bible says. So the Lord allows these two witnesses to die at the mid-trib mark. They've been witnessing for three and a half years. And so, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. We're talking about Jerusalem. Now the Lord says you got the characteristic of Sodom. It says, and they and all the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts to one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. Well, only if you're doing bad. So they were happy. The world's happy these two prophets are dead. They're sending gifts to one another. Sure, the Antichrist is just patting himself on the back and they're having a big party with all their dudes, you know. The Antichrist will have thought to have a great victory, but out of death comes life when the Lord is involved. Amen. Revelation 11, verse 11, it says, And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them that which saw them. <laughs> no kidding. They just had a party about their death. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. Resurrection event number three. Christ the first fruits, the rapture, the two witnesses. Two witnesses resurrected from the dead. These two protectors are in heaven and have left the earth without witnesses, but not for long. <laughs> Look at verse 13, the next verse. What happens? And the same hour there was a great earthquake. And the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand. Just when these guys are resurrected, that's a big event. Everybody saw it, or we'll see it. And the remnant were affrighted 
and gave glory to God of heaven. It is because of these events that there was a revival, will be a revival among the Jews, and they give glory to God. At the beginning of the the 70th week, the Bible talks about 144,000 that the Lord put a seal on. He didn't use them, he just sealed them. Why did he seal them? To protect them. Now these individuals, I'm protecting them. There's going to be 12,000 from each tribe, which equals 144,000 men, and I'm going to use these as my witnesses, but they haven't witnessed yet. Three and a half years in, they're still not witnessing. But what happens? These two witnesses die. They get resurrected. An earthquake comes. They look at what happens here, and they give glory to God. I believe the 144,000 people get saved because they saw God work, and they saw the resurrection. They gave glory to him. So they were sealed, and they were protected, and now they were saved and then they became activated. Amen. 144,000 will now take up the mantle of the prophets and preach the gospel to the world for the remaining of the great tribulation. Where's the church? You don't need no church. And there is no church. And if there was a church, I'll tell you this, we'd be the witnesses. Because that's what the church is. That's why there is no church in the tribulation. Cannot be. From the time the two witnesses witness, it is them. When they die and they raise again, who gives glory? The ones that are going to be the next witnesses. They see it. They get saved. And for the next three and a half years, they are witnessing for three and a half years. They become the next. Revelation 20, verse 4, or I'll just give you this next group. Uh, Letter C is the tribulation martyrs. Now, these include those 144,000. Revelation 20, verse 4, it says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their, their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So that's another group that got resurrected. Amen. Christ the firstfruits, the rapture of the church, The two witnesses, the tribulation martyrs, these are all a part of the first resurrection. Amen. Blessed and holy is he that is a part of the first. (laughs) All right. Now those that have lost their lives for the Lord's sake will be resurrected at Christ's return. At the start of the kingdom of Christ in earth. So his coming, it's talking about the rapture. His coming is talking about the revelation. And so from that point to that point, all these different events take place. The church, the two witnesses, the tribulation martyrs, and then our final group, letter D, is the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament saints do not get raptured with the church because they are not the church. Amen. The Bible says those in Christ will be made alive. And so that's a different dispensation. The Old Testament saints are not those in Christ. They're not those that have the same indwelling of the Spirit of God as we had nor were placed into the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Daniel 12, verse uh, 2, it says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So the group that will awake to everlasting life are the Old Testament saints that had faith in the Messiah as revealed by the prophets in the Old Testament scriptures. All the way back to Adam. Amen. It was counted to them for righteousness. 
it says, and they should, letter D, it says, after the resurrection, the Lord will recompense each one for their faith. Recompense. In verse 3, it says, and they, sh- they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. They that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. The word shine, it's interesting that the word actually means to teach or to warn, to be bright. So it's actually, it's showing them something. As they're seeing it shine, it's actually revealing something to them. It's teaching. So the Lord is setting up these people in their rewards to teach others about what it means to be faithful to God. And they shine as lights in the heavens, the Bible says. Those that, number one, those that live in the fear of the Lord after wisdom will be honored by the Lord. Okay? So who are these that will shine as brightness of the firmament? Well, they that be wise. So there be no fools. <laughs> no fools will be set up to shine as in the firmament, to have that testimony before the people. It'll only be those that have fear in the Lord because the Bible says in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me thy days shall be multiplied and the years of thy life shall be increased. So it's only those that fear the Lord that actually have any wisdom. If there's no fear of God in someone's life, they're a fool. <laughs> if they're going against the word of God and living against the scripture and pretending to be a Christian, I'm sorry, you're not wise and you're going to be very sad when you meet Jesus. You'll be one of those that are ashamed. So if you are saved, your resurrection will not be a very good one. In fact, the Bible says you'll be ashamed at his coming. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talked about those that gave their lives unto death, that they may obtain a better resurrection. A better resurrection. So we, we are not going to sell it on the Lord to save our lives, so that even if we die, we know that in the resurrection, we will have it better. Amen? So it's true. It's going to be different for different believers, the resurrection. So if you fear the Lord, you can be one that shines. In Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but the fools despise wisdom and instruction. Number two, those that live in humility to the Lord will be honored by the Lord. Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Anybody that he sets up as a star that shines in the heavens is going to be someone that initially was a humble person. He doesn't honor a prideful person. Amen. Number three, those that win souls to Christ are wise. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. So soul winners will be set up as wise. The Lord rewards those that live and teach the right way of the Lord. In our final passage here, it says, And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So I don't think we think enough of this today. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to have a very major part in teaching others the right way. It's not just doing whatever you want, just give them the gospel. We're supposed to have a part of turning people to righteousness. So that means you're the one, if you see the evil going on, you're the one saying, don't do that. You got to do right. How many Christians do that these days? 
It's like Christians don't even care what's right anymore, you know? As long as I'm going to tell people about Jesus, tell people about Jesus, he is the righteous one. The Bible says that you have to be a person that turns people to righteousness. Those will be the ones that will shine in the brightness of heaven. Amen? And so, in Matthew 5, verse 17, I like this passage. It says, Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not to come to destroy the law, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. What's the kingdom of heaven? That's a thousand year reign. That's the kingdom of heaven. So that means after the resurrection, you know who's going to be called great by God? Those that did the word of God, kept the commandments, and taught others to do the same thing. But now, man, people don't care about it. They got this thing in their head, oh, the law is over. That's why he said, hey, I've not come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill it. I never told you we're doing away with the law. I've just given you the ability to actually fulfill it. I've given you the grace to live it. So now live it and teach others to live it. And not just the Ten Commandments. But instead of just not killing or murdering your brother, he says, don't hate your brother in the heart. Now instead of not committing adultery with someone, don't even lust after them in your heart. That's the one that keeps the commandment. And that person teaches others the same thing. Tell them to watch their mind, watch their thoughts, watch what you look at. Sounds like an old Baptist preacher, doesn't it? Don't you be looking at that. Don't you be thinking about those things. That's scripture, my friend. We're supposed to teach that. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Letter A, salvation is based upon the imputed righteousness of the Lord. In Romans 4.20, this is good because Romans 4.20 is referring to Old Testament saints. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully persuaded what he promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. So in the same way that Abraham believed God and what God said way back there in Genesis chapter 12, it's the same thing when we believe what God said about Jesus Christ and how he died on the cross and rose again the third day. Our belief is given as enough criteria for the Lord to impute to us the righteousness of Christ. That's salvation. It has a lot to do with being right. That's imputed righteousness. But letter B, reward is based upon the imparted righteousness of the Lord. So now rewards aren't going to come from imputation. 
That was a free gift. He gave that to you, no charge, amen. You believed him and he saved you and gave you his righteousness. But this is what he says, the reward is based upon the imparted righteousness of the Lord. In Hebrews 10, verse 35, it says this, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So what he's saying here, God will tell you to do some things, and you're not going to see the benefit of what you're doing until much later. And in fact, when you do them, it almost seems like you're being punished for it. It seems like when you do right, things are going the opposite direction. But that's why the Bible says you have need of patience. After you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise for yet a little while. And he that come will come and will not tarry. That means you have to wait for Jesus to come. But all those things you do in the will of God will be recompensed. That's imparted righteousness. That's us doing the right thing. Amen. And that's going to be what your reward is going to be based upon. The Apostle Paul said, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. It's going to be difficult for us to pull apart everybody's heart down here in this time. In fact, we just can't. We'll have people sitting among us that really don't want to do the right thing. And you know what? As long as they don't violate the scripture and hurt the name of God and blaspheme him, they could probably sit there for another 30 years until Jesus Christ comes, <laughs> or 10 years, or whenever he comes. You'll let it go. But the Bible says the day will come. He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. Boy, we got to get right. <laughs> Amen. we got to be right. Let her see. The rewards of the first resurrection will be to rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom. It says in 2 Timothy 2.11, It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Now that's talking about reward right there. So he's saying, you're either going to suffer for right and pay the price. And when that happens, I'm going to reward you by giving you a place of ruling and reigning with me in the millennial kingdom. But if you deny me, that means in order to save yourself the discomfort of this world and to have people like you and so forth, and you don't really want to take a stand for Jesus, you deny me, he says, I will deny you when the time comes. And that's an awesome thing to take in. I know it's hard for us sinners because we don't live by faith very well. <laughs> we live in the temporal. We live in the here and now. 
But if we were to just grow our faith a little bit and just believe what he's saying here, this is going to come, and probably sooner than we think, maybe it would change our life today. 